Welcome to Below Z Level with Zenith, where we take a deep dive into some of Gen Z's most pressing issues. Um, I'm your host, Anania, and today I'm joined by Rachel. Hello. And Marcos. Hi. So the the day that we're recording this episode is on April 23rd, uh, and so we're going to list you guys some facts about what happened on this day in history. And because we're going in chronological order, I'll go first. So it is estimated that on this on this day in 1616, William Shakespeare died. And I don't know, guys, like, what are your opinions on Shakespeare? I was forced to learn him for middle school literature, honestly. Mm. That's as far as my thoughts go. As much as his texts are, like, institutionalized and people just know him as like, oh, you kind of just study him in high school. I think if people were to appreciate what he wrote outside of the, like, academic context, people would probably learn a lot about big questions of life and time and all the things that he wrote about. I mean, whether or not you enjoy his works, you have to admit that, you know, looking at the structure of his plays and the way he wrote, I realized it's extremely difficult um, to write plays of that length and, you know, that many plays of that length and that quality. And so I think you really have to respect him for that. Um, Hmm. Yeah. But, you know, Shakespeare is honestly a monolith. I think he's really just... If you were to talk about the English language and literature, he's one of those big guys that you'll always kind of think mm, about. Definitely. On this day, uh, in 1984, the discovery of HIV was announced to the entire world. Late 70s and early 80s, it was a huge issue. Many prominent figures had it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, that's why you have to appreciate, like, how far we've come in terms of medicine and technology. And I think that every every day we're learning something new about our bodies and about anatomy. And I think that, like, um, it just shows you, you how far we've come as a civilization. I think it's also very humbling, though, as well, because we've, we've yet to find any effective treatment or remedy to it. So it's definitely a sign that there is more to be discovered and more to be concluded in terms of our scientific world and i guess like how would you personally be able to contribute to that like i feel like one thing that i'm interested in looking at is like donating my organs to science after i pass away mm. mm-hmm. I-, I think that's something that i'd be interested in doing i don't know about you guys but like have you ever considered doing that i have not no I don't really know because I think for me it kind of comes down to like, do I follow like my cultural thing when it comes to, you know, dying or do I do something that I feel, you know, has a chance of helping other people? And at the end of the day, I think it just kind of depends on like people's values and stuff. Okay, so on a much lighter, on a much, much lighter note, um... On this day in 2005, the first YouTube video was uploaded, and it was called Me at the Zoo, and it stars the co-founder of YouTube, George Kareem, and arguably this video marks the beginning of a revolutionary form of entertainment that forged a path for billions, and I think probably trillions of hours of YouTube videos that came in the the years since, 
and it's a huge part of, I say, most um, of our generation's childhood. All of the characters, all of the people that emerge from the site, it's really the influence it's had. You can't really put it into words. I'd say. Oh, for sure. I think it goes beyond mm. just the entertainment aspect, but everything, you know, like aside from that, we're talking about advertising, marketing. We're talking about career yeah. paths. You know, the spread of information. Yeah. I think it's so. Mm. It's it's become yeah it's become such an in integral part of life and whether that be a good or bad thing not so sure yet but I feel like I'm more inclined to say that it's created a positive um, effect on our generation when utilized properly if that makes sense yeah like a huge amount of information of like good I'd say quality information can be found on YouTube yeah I think it's like remarkable especially like. Growing up with a platform such as YouTube, and you really get to see how it's mm -hmm. developed over the years. Um, yeah, definitely. it's kind of beautiful because you know, mm -hmm. like I kind of like remember how simple the uh, interface used to be like before. Yeah, yeah, even just the website layout. Yeah, and, like how far and now it's, it's come just now. So <laughs> different. Like I remember actually, like recently, yeah. YouTube at least like YouTube like on the phone, it had an update where they moved the comments from the bottom. Like, you have to scroll oh, yeah, to the bottom to, to the, find the comments to, like, right below the video. And so many people were so mad about that. I've kind of gotten used to it <laughs> at this point. Like, I don't really mind. It's like, how dare you? you know, how dare you make our lives more convenient? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, when you... I feel like you know how different YouTube has become. If you, like, remember the days where the... I think the cover art of the app on the iPhone was, like, a TV like this little brownish green yes. TV. Um, I remember yeah, when it like was the changed, box set I was so TV type thing. When it was changed, I was so surprised. I was like, "Oh my gosh, what is this?" But you know, mm. the the red play yeah. button is forever iconic. Um, it's just a it's exactly and yeah. I, I guess that acts as a segue to today's conversation because you know some of the YouTube videos that I watch are um, like simple daily vlogs about students. Um, talking about what they do in their daily lives and their routine, um, whether that be like high school students or college students and usually people who are very productive. And to some extent, there's a feeling of, um, I suppose, sadness within me, but also like, I feel like a fraud whenever I watch those videos because those people are extremely productive. They work really hard and you can see that they kind of have their life together and, you know, looking at them and comparing them with, you know, I feel like what I do um, in school and how I handle my extracurricular activities kind of makes me feel a bit bad. But like, what about you guys? It has a name, that feeling of like not being able to feel adequate um, despite what you, whatever you, you, you succeed at. Um, and that's called imposter syndrome. And HBR defines imposter syndrome as a collection of feelings of inadequacy that persist despite evident success. Um, and obviously this kind of comes with feelings of self-doubt and this kind of comes with like the intellectual fraudulence which uh, kind of overtake any feelings of success or little wins as you could call them. I mean, do you guys have any personal experience of like imposter syndrome that you can think of like at the top of your head right now? Like, I think I've definitely, like, experienced uh, kind of, like, the feeling of being an imposter because 
you see everyone like like it feels like i see everyone around me like they congratulate me i said that weird they congratulate me on you know um good things that i've done but then somehow it might always feel like i've not done enough or like maybe i don't deserve um the recognition that i'm getting because it's not enough or it's like less compared to this other person and they did they had to do a lot more in order to get the recognition so i don't deserve it or something like that and i think that that's like something that a lot of students face but that's just how it was for me i feel like like you're right in the sense that it's kind of a collective experience like we always it's very individualistic but at the same time i feel like we all feel the same type of way where we all feel like we're not doing enough nearly enough um and you're right in the sense that oftentimes you don't you don't feel like you deserve any of the recognition that you're getting i i think sometimes i feel that um whenever people tell me oh you're doing such a good job or oh you're doing a lot i always feel like i could be doing something more I I always feel like my actions are inadequate, which I don't think is a really healthy feeling, to be honest. I think I'm a strong believer in in pressure being something that can be perceived as a privilege. But I do believe that pressure in itself can be used. I mean, like pressure in real life, talking physically now, can be used in good and bad ways. And I think the type of pressure that comes from uh, this imposter syndrome it really depends on how it makes you feel as to how you perceive it because obviously you can use imposter syndrome i think you definitely can use it too in a in a good way in like a benevolent as a benevolent force i think to improve yourself to improve what you're doing and to go further with your goals but i think if it's if it's affecting you to the point where you feel as though you're not doing enough and then it demotivates you and then you sort of give up with what you've already been doing like pressure sort of just crumb like making you crumble in a way i think that's when you really have to address the issue and you have to consider why it is that you have these like self-deprecative thoughts where you can't acknowledge your logical definitive like absolute success that you do have mm-hmm. yeah um actually something that like something really good that you mentioned was like the demotivation and stuff like that and i feel like that's a big indicator to kind of like find people who might be um going through like a similar experience or going through that kind of feeling of being an imposter do not make an among us joke right now sorry i like i had to mute myself for a second because um i had to stop myself from laughing okay um like i was saying um i think it's i think it's really important to kind of look at like these indicators because it is something that can have very detrimental effects on your schooling or even other aspects of your life and i but i do think that as you progress throughout life it might look different so for example i think in school um specifically it might come as a result of you know dropping like you might see dropping grades etc etc you know in covid times especially online schooling um you see a lot of grades kind of being dropped or like you see a lot of people constantly stressing out about how much they haven't done and that's something that they verbalize and when they don't verbalize it you can just see that they're doing a lot to compensate but i don't know are there any other indicators i think another factor in like um people feeling like an imposter or having imposter syndrome is like being surrounded by people they feel like are um highly 
competitive and also very achieved. I mean, like, very um, talented kids or people who you feel like are taking on a lot of work. You know, seeing other people do a lot and feeling like you're inadequate compared to them, I feel like is a common thing because, you know, there are a lot of kids in my year specifically who I think um, are extremely talented, get good grades, are also really well-rounded and, you know, have a lot of leadership positions and they they look like they're managing it well. Um, I feel like that's something that can be demotivating, especially if you feel like your personal progress hasn't really matched theirs in a sense. And so, like, I think it's important to note that at the end of the day, you should be measuring success based on yourself and your personal growth and not necessarily how other people are doing, if that makes sense. So, like, I mean, obviously, um, this thing about, like, achievements and stuff like that, it can leak into something very daunting, which is university applications. Uh, now, I myself do not know that much about uni applications, uni applications, um, as of now, but, you know, it's something that's, that we've definitely had to think about because these extracurriculars that you do, do kind of build up and help you get into the schools that you want. But I think that there might be ways that imposter syndrome would kind of, uh, hinder you in your uni apps. Mm, yeah, I, I think so. And I think it's really, you know, um, I think it's nice that you mentioned that because I think we touched a bit on it in our last episode where we talked about prestigious universities. And I think a large part of, you know, feeling like an imposter in terms of uni applications is, I guess, oftentimes I also feel like it's not just like the university that people are applying to and thinking, oh, oh, well, the university that they're applying to is much bigger and much more recognized on an, you know, international stage, but also I suppose the timing of it like oftentimes people already have choices in terms of what kind of courses they're planning to take and i know that a lot of people are still left undecided and they feel like they feel um demotivated whenever they see other people who kind of look like they know more about what's going on in terms of applying to uni i think that's a big stress as well mm. so i've just gone through my application process uh this year so i'll be graduating this year Ooh. and um one thing that is yes it's exciting but one thing that i say rather daunting is that when you begin to essentially list your life and achievements on paper and you materialize those onto essentially one piece of a4 or two sides of a4 depending on how accomplished you are and once you begin to do that it really does become something tangible the things you have and the things you haven't done and i think of course it is a way for universities to make their decisions and that is something, obviously, that is useful. But I think there is something to be said about this time in particular where people are hyper aware of what achievements they have done and what this means for our sort of, you know, our age range now. And there's definitely a focus on, I'd say, your achievements as a person. But I don't think, I think the issue is, is that people allow these achievements or the lack thereof of achievements to define who they are. And I think that's where the real issue is, is that we're in a highly, highly competitive, um, I'd, I'd say, generation or period in time where people are striving to be the best that they can be. And I think that's that's great. I think, you know, this type of motivation is is 
amazing, but I think, like I said, it, it only takes a certain amount of pressure to tip it the other way to where as people begin to just have that demotivation. So I think there's something to be said about, one, how competitive the university process is, which and then people feel like they're forced to do all these things to stand out. And obviously, it's a lot of pressure to stand out because you're competing against some of the most talented, most driven people in the world, and that might not necessarily be you. And two is that our our society now, specifically at our age, is so focused on material achievements that don't reflect you as a person, but you do perceive that as reflecting you as a person because it amounts to a physical university application that you put down on paper. And I think that's where the issue really does come forth. You know, to be honest, I've never really considered the whole process of putting down your achievements on paper and essentially, I guess, having to come to terms with it or like facing it. And you're right in the sense that people often use it to define themselves. And I think that that is a concerning thing because all the time we're just constantly faced with analysis of our personal work or the things that we've done and things that we've achieved and always people being critical um, and saying, oh, well, you need to do a bit a bit more of this in order to get into this specific university. You need to do a bit more of that. Mm. And oftentimes it feels like an attack to your personal self. It's always like, I'm lacking in this area and I need to fix it. Yeah, yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the issue. If you, if you allow it to become a reflection of what you think of yourself, let's say, for example, you're applying to the US and I say the US because it is a lot more like achievement extracurricular orientated than for example the UK where I've finished the application process and I think once you do start to slip into that that idea of like okay I need to improve this I need to improve that I need to become better at this I need to become better at that that's when you allow it to become a sort of like a central part of your being for this short short period of time which obviously is a good thing because you're striving to be the best version of yourself that you can be for universities to see but then how far do you let that affect your perceptions of yourself after university life and you then you have this mindset of okay everything i do and everything i accomplish reflects me not who i am actually as a person and what people see me as it's rather your achievements that make you. And I think that's when that is the the, the danger of this, because I don't think that is true at all. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that that kind of thing with um, having that feeling kind of be part of your identity is a huge thing. And it's probably something that you can kind of carry into your into your like adult life and often like work life. Um, I don't know, like, what do you guys think? Like, what would be the sort of ways that it would translate to you know when you're working i don't have any work experience so honestly i wouldn't know more than just the work you achieve and stuff like that i think it's the type of job that you have and uh i guess this is a bit of a far transfer but i think the um there's some sort of like want to conform to society's expectations of a a good job or like a proper job if that makes sense you know the phrase a proper job or i feel like some careers are not necessarily taken as seriously as others and i feel like oftentimes we as a generation feel like we're supposed to fit into those careers that are deemed acceptable by society um and that in itself is some sort of imposter syndrome already especially if oftentimes like people settle for careers that they're not necessarily 
the most passionate about just because their parents think it's it's acceptable over others that say that they feel more strongly about if that makes sense yeah and i think when you when you look at um this type of person that does go for as you said the proper jobs and they do pursue well-paying jobs and well-respected jobs but they don't go for the job that they truly wanted or the job that they truly desired and that was their motivation to go into a certain business to begin with i think those are the people who have the most regrets in life and those are the people who do retire early and do have a good life but look back at their working time and think i uh, this is i could have done so much more and this is not what i wanted to do and i think that is a very that's a sad life to have and i think that it does reflect though similarly to the university application process where you essentially construct another person to represent yourself which might not necessarily be yourself and then you're you're sort of constantly living through this scope of societal pressure and then you realize okay well this isn't me you know what that smells like that smells like a midlife crisis <laughs> actually i would okay. like to provide a contrasting opinion i mean not necessarily when i agree with just something that i feel like could be discussed as well is that there is a need though for people to go for jobs that they're not necessarily like the most happy with because it keeps society running in the sense that like they um some oh, yeah, of the jobs no, of course, that they might yeah. want might not be sufficient enough to provide safer a family or to put their kids through through school mm, or mm-hmm. sustain them through retirement or whatever i think that there is like some need for people to yeah i think it's it's a selfless decision yeah, to make it's very I think. you know i think i think that like it like the sense i feel like the syndrome has like kind of like a big enough cultural impact where like even though like mark said earlier like they would retire early there's like enough like enough of that happening to people where it's like enough to sustain society is that weird mm, no i see what oh, you there's mean. like a right balance between people who are taking those jobs and other people who are pursuing some of their more i want to say like i feel like it's like the the safety jobs and those that are more risk taking like i don't want to really frame it in that way but i think that yeah yeah i know what you mean though in reality mm. it's kind of like that like traditionally more safer and more like i'd say less volatile jobs that you you know you're going to have like a steady income and you know you're going to be well respected and it's like that sort of safe uh, yeah i see what but you mean. i suppose it all depends on you know a country's economic structure and also like social support but at the end of the day i think that's another conversation for another day that's a pretty heavy topic yeah yeah definitely i but, think so <laughs> yeah i think that's another manifestation of imposter syndrome if that makes sense mm yeah yeah get into it i mean don't don't get impo- i mean if you i don't know if you listen okay if you have imposter syndrome or if you feel that you have it or you know if you know someone who has it there are ways there are ways to combat maybe not you can't yeah like combat it yeah like i feel like you can't obviously get rid of all of it at once i don't think that's how our brains work um but you know slowly but surely and we're gonna share some tips with you guys like and actually we're doing the first solution right now which is addressing it and having a conversation about feeling inadequate because i think recognition mm-hmm. and acceptance about that certain feeling is really the first step in 
healing. I don't I don't think healing is the right word, but I'm going to use it anyways. But being able to talk about your feelings and being able to, as cliche as that sounds, and being able to um, verbalize how you feel to other people is really good because you don't realize it, but most people feel the same way. And so you'll be able to build a support system. You'll be able to know that there are people out there who know how you're feeling, who feel the same way, and who are there to support you through it and there to talk with you about how you're feeling, essentially. Yeah, we we hope that like... um. If you didn't know that the thing that you were feeling had a name for it, now you do, hopefully. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, like, really important. Like, you know, sometimes labeling things can just help just a lot. Um, Another thing is separate separate the way that you feel from, like, the actual facts that you have. Um, You know, sometimes you're going to feel stupid or dumb, but then... That doesn't mean that you are actually stupid and just taking the time to kind of recognize that like it's okay to feel that way, but kind of know that it's that feeling is momentary. Yeah, it's like separating the brain and the heart and sometimes just being able to take a step back and think about things logically and not letting the emotions take center stage. For sure. And I think another thing is I think something that Mark mentioned earlier, which is to look at the silver lining of this whole thing, which is that, you know, it's good that you're a perfectionist. Like, it it means that you care about your work and that you want to make sure that whatever you produce is at the best quality possible. And I think that um, the key to this whole thing is just to continue to strive for excellence, but don't really, but learn to forgive yourself when you make mistakes or aren't doing as best as you can. And I think as like a another broader statement that I'd probably like to tell everybody as well is that um, as much as we do have this sort of hustle culture nowadays about, you know, trying to do as much as you can and being the best you can be and being the most productive person around, um, you are much more than your achievements in life and you can be more than your achievements. You just have to believe that you are and find other fulfillment in life than just academic or non-academic achievements and and taking risks is one of the best things that you can do to um combat this feeling of like hopelessness or this feeling of you know inadequacy like the best thing that you can do is just keep moving just keep moving and at the end of the day you know it's all about your personal journey don't look at anyone else um just focus on your personal self how you've grown and developed and changed instead of trying to see other people's achievements and looking at your own and feeling that you haven't done enough um yeah i think what rachel said then about um comparing yourself to yourself that's a very useful thing that you can do as well in a more practical way is if you for example you think about what you were like say 10 years ago or seven years ago or what you were like when you first started high school or secondary school or whatever you want like you know whatever milestone you want to take in life and you look at yourself and think who you were back then and compare yourself to who you are now i'd say nine times out of ten you're you're going to have made significant progress um but also i would like to clarify that imposter syndrome is a syndrome it is not a mental disorder it is a phenomenon that is experienced by many so um please do not mm. confuse do it not for d- a disorder yourself. <laughs> yeah um 
it is just a phenomenon, you know, a lot of people experience and it. And we are not clinical psychologists, we're oh, not professionals, yeah, sure. so just, take everything we say with here. a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah, this is all based on, like, experience yes. and research, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, let's have uh, recommendations. Um, uh, so, I'd like to recommend a game. It's called Among Us, and it links... <sighs> <sighs> Hear the collective uh, I'm sorry. I'm that. sorry. I'm you can sorry. Hear I'm sorry. Me I'm and sorry. Mark just. I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, the joke was right there. Okay, it was right yeah, there, and I took well, the opportunity. Okay. Okay. But okay, in a <laughs> relating more seriously <laughs> towards the topic of mental health, obviously, um, uh, mental health is really important. Please take care of your mental health. Um, if you if you do not have access to a therapist, psychologist, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and you would you're looking for an online resource, I suggest sevencups.com because uh obviously it is a free resource, so it definitely won't be the solution to all your problems, but it's a great way to kind of let out your feelings in a healthy way. Yeah, taking the first step. Mhm. Definitely, yeah. I like to recommend, as the resident uh, classical music recommender, I like to recommend Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto Number 2, which is a quite popular piece. The reason why I want to recommend it is its second movement is the backbone of Celine Dion's All By Myself, and you just have to know in this situation, you're not all by yourself. And um, (laughs) it's... (laughs) And Anya's laughing at me right now because it was a lame joke, but that's okay. Um, But the piece is very, it it helps me calm down whenever I'm feeling, you know, imposter syndrome myself. Like, it's one of those, like, emotional support pieces, if that makes sense. It's very, like, transcendent. Mm -hmm. It's it's ethereal, if that makes sense. But you should listen to Mm -hmm. it. Um, Movements 1 and 2 are my favorites. Do you just, like, listen to it and just, like, think to, just, like, um, words of affirmations? I'm not an imposter. Yeah. I'm not an imposter. Um, also, I, I would like to recommend a specific interpretation. I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name properly, so I'm just going to search it up on online so that I won't butcher it and offend anyone. He's Russian anyways, but he... Good luck with the name. And he's also a teen prodigy. I feel like prodigies are some of my triggers because they make me feel more <laughs> inadequate. If I see one of those videos that is like that's like, oh, five-year-old plays fantasy impromptu, um, in public, oh my gosh! P- like videos like <laughs> yes. that make me want to break down <laughs> on the inside. No, you know those pic- those pictures, those videos are the pinnacle of imposter syndrome. The cause, I love you. They are yes, the cause. Yeah. Th- that that's that's what your mother sends you on the WhatsApp group chat and says, "Look at this five year old. She can play piano better than you." <laughs> um, this is how you pronounce the dude's the dude's name. Eugeni Kissin. Eugeni. Okay, you know what? I won't even. Okay. So Evgeny Kissin. Um, he has, in my opinion, like probably the best interpretation of Rachmaninoff um, Piano Concerto Two. So you should listen to that if you have time. <laughs> okay. So keeping with the theme of music, I'll be recommending a whole album. So if you have not listened to NF's new album called Clouds, I highly, highly recommend it. If it's it's very good gym music. It's the type of it's also very emotional music as well. So I suppose similar to emotional gym music. Rachmaninoff. Well, I mean, it's it's sort of like um, 
storytelling through this like very intense rap. If you've ever listened to NF, I highly recommend his new album Clouds. It's very good. Wait, what is what is what is NF? NF, that's just the name of the artist. Oh, that's it. I thought that like stood for something. Mm, I don't, oh, okay. I don't believe, but I, I, I'm not sure. I haven't really looked into his name. You know, um, I feel like Rachmaninoff, like in his time, was also some sort of like emotional storytelling rapper. Except like it was, it was really like symphonies and concertos. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total <laughs> sense. I just, you know, Rachmaninoff, NF. Schubert, Eminem, you know, just kind of they're just there. Yeah. <laughs> the game. <laughs> but thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We hope that you were able to take away something uh, from our conversation, and we'll see you again next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye.